The text for the sermon this day is taken from Luke 7, which was read to you earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This story of the Gospel of Luke is a very powerful one, and it's a very emotional one, because it begins with the de simple detail of this mother. This mother who has lost her only son. And what is more, she is already a widow, which means her husband has already died. So this mother has no one. No family anymore. No husband no son. If she had daughters, very likely that they were already married and off with their own husbands. And this is culturally of significance because in ancient in, in the time of Jesus, granted probably it's not fair, but this is how it was, is that women had to have a man in their lives because he was the one that took care of them. A woman, on her own, had great difficulty caring for herself. And if you, so if with her husband dead, that meant the duty of caring, to the caring for the mother would pass on to the oldest son. In her case, there was only one son that that passed on to. And when her son died, that means there is no one. And that means that very likely she's going to live a life of extreme poverty. Because that is the way the culture was at that time. It isn't fair, it isn't right, but that is how it was. 
And that is why it's so, that just hits at a little bit of the tragedy. But just simply that thought of losing a child. As I said this morning, he may have been a full, he may have been an adult, the one that her son, but I met, for parents, they're always a child to them. And then, and so this death that she experienced, this is the consequence of a world of sin. This is a consequence of Adam and Eve. It was not simply, and understand, with Adam and Eve, it was not simply that they partook of a fruit. I don't know if you ever pay attention to that text, you notice that they were already slipping into sin before they partook of the fruit. They twisted God's word, they questioned his word, and what was more, was that their marriage was already going out of whack. Namely, that the, the wife, Eve, had become the head of the house in that conversation with the serpent. And Adam let her be the head of the house. And so that caused the world to spiral into sin. It caused the world to be introduced to the, what death is. And you can imagine that the Adam and Eve, after they're told that death would come, they eventually might have become a little comfortable and thought, ah, death, that's just a, you know, God's just trying to scare us. He's just giving us an idle threat. Because you have to realize it's quite a while before somebody dies. It's many years. They had never seen anybody die. For them, it's just a concept. And then they have two sons, Cain and Abel. And when there are only four people in the entire world, in a world that had never, ever seen a single person die, one brother murdered the other. 25% of the world murdered the other 25%. That is what sin brought into the world. That sons die. Today is the 15th anniversary of September 11th. Thousands of people Killed in a single day, in a single hour. Fifteen years ago, almost to, the, almost to the moment. Think about that. Fifteen years ago, this moment, at this time, those buildings were on fire. And it would, by the time, I think by the time we're done, we're going to be pretty close to the time when the towers had collapsed. Could not imagine the grief it was for the people that were closely connected. But it is one of those events for, for me, it's one of the few moments in my life that I remember. I remember exactly where I was when I saw it on the news. For those of you who are a little bit older, that, for you that, that might have been um, the JFK shooting. 
or something of that nature, or more positive, is the landing on the moon. But on the tragic level, 9-11, I'm going to guess, is one that all of us who were alive at that point remember where we were when we heard it. And see, the thing is, as it goes beyond that, is death is something that every single one of us knows. Every single one of us has, I'm going to guess, majority of the people here, except for the very, very young maybe, know of someone that they love that has died. That is what sin brought into this world. Sin is not small. It is huge. And it creates tragedy. And so this widow fully is experiencing the effects of sin. So Jesus comes, comes towards him. Imagine you're in that crowd this day when that happened. You're, you're in that crowd because it, it says it's a considerable crowd. Lots of people came. So you imagine they're kind of having a, um, you know, they're having a processional. Obviously, they don't have cars. And what Jesus does is probably a good thing he, there wasn't a car because I think there would have been a wreck with, with that, what he did happen. But they're walking out as they're processing out the body. The body very likely was to be burned were cremated because the widow was not wealthy enough to afford a traditional burial. And so you're, in the, you're with that huge group and you see Jesus come, for, come out. Now you've heard about the reputation of Jesus. You've heard that he's, done, he's a really good teacher. You've heard he's done a few miracles here and there. And you probably heard about the John, what happened with John the Baptist. So you, but you see him come, and you know, the kid, you know the son is already dead, so you're thinking, oh, Jesus has just come here to be compassionate. And it makes sense. They know that Jesus is himself the only son of a widow. Joseph is very likely, has very likely died by this time. And so there's just Mary... And Jesus did have brothers and sisters, but in a sense, he was an only son. And he was an only son of the, of the heavenly father. But they see him come, and so they figure, you can imagine them kind of, that he's coming there to give his, his condolences. In the scriptures it says that he had compassion. And the word that is used here in the Greek is a word that is only, is reserved only for God. The kind of compassion that Jesus had is a compassion that none of us can even have. It's a very special level. The Greek word that makes up the word is actually normally translated, the root word is translated as entrails. So in other words, what compassion means in the Greek is it's kind of like a tying of the, your innards where your anguish and grief over the loss of the sun is so great that your very innards is, stomach is turning and twisting into a knot. That's kind of to describe the level of grief 
Because Jesus grieves every time anyone dies. Because he knows death isn't meant to be. He knows it's a result of the sin that has been brought into the world that man himself is committing. But he knows every person that dies. He knows them better than they know themselves. And so he grieves. And so he turns, so he's talking to this widow. And so again, imagine you're in that crowd and you're witnessing this. So you're just assuming Jesus is just being compassionate or just being, you know, loving. And then he turns to the boy that's on the, that's on the bier, the son who had died. And he speaks to him. And if you're in the crowd, again, you're just like, oh, people sometimes talk to, some, to somebody after they die. They, make, they say something. Now again, imagine you're in that line and all of a sudden, that boy that you know is dead sits up. That's why it's probably good there was no car because if they're in a, car, in a hearse and that happened, I'm pretty certain the driver would swerve like none other when he saw that the kid at the back sat up. Imagine that. Being at a funeral and the person that's in the casket just sits up. After somebody spoke to them. I'm pretty certain every single person in that crowd got an incredible startle. And probably a lot of them had to go change their undergarments after witnessing it. And very quickly, they realized who it is that was there. They realized that Jesus was not just a nice guy who did occasional miracles. They knew he was a great prophet and, if, and even, possibly even greater that he was God in the flesh. They knew who he was and they were struck with a fear that almost paralyzed them. See, what Jesus did for this widow, and by the way, the raising of the son was not for the sake of the son. It was for the sake of the widow. Because as I mentioned in Bible class this morning, when a person is raised from the dead, there is actually a certain level of tragedy. Because the reality is that a person that is raised from the dead will have to get sick and die again. They're being raised into this world. Which is why we wish that somebody we lose would come back to us the reality is, is it's not as good of an idea as it sounds. It may be good for us, but it may not be good for them. This boy, this son, had been relieved from the trials and the turmoils of this world. And he, and now he had been brought back to it. But it was for the sake of his mother. To bear that cross for her sake. But what Jesus did was a foreshadowing. Because the day was going to come that his mother would be the widow. And her only son would be hanging on a cross, bleeding and dying. 
And by his, that son, who is Jesus, by his death, and which he would rise from the dead, he guaranteed that there would be a time that would come. That the answer to all who grieve death is the same as the answer to this widow. For the widow, it was a temporary resurrection, giving her a foreshadowing of what is going to come for that boy and even for herself. That the day is going to come that Jesus is going to come and he's going to tell everyone. By the way, Jesus' word is so powerful. His commands are incredible. And the re the, again, I mentioned this in Bible class. I thought it was kind of funny that a pastor had mentioned this. Is you know the reason why Jesus at Lazarus' tomb, he had to say, Lazarus, come out? Because if he just said, come out, a whole bunch of other people who are dead, like, I think he might be me and they'd get up too. He'd, he'd raise more than just Lazarus. So he had to make sure to say, Lazarus, come out. Because Jesus' word is so powerful, his command is so powerful, that he's going to go through the graveyards. So, you know, you go over the, go over the cemetery right over here. Go to any cemetery. All those people that have passed. Jesus is one day going to come through that graveyard. He's just going to say, Come out! Wake up! And everyone who hears the voice of the Good Shepherd, everyone who believed in the name of Jesus, will rise up glorified, strengthened, better than they ever were in this entire life. Even the ones who, who died when they were young, they will be stronger when they rise. The promise is to all who have died, all those who have lost loved ones. And until that day comes, our God gives means for you to visit your loved one. Now, a, set, a graveyard, a gravesite can help you remember the person. But you don't visit them there. Because they're not in the grave. Not yet. At the resurrection, the body and the spirit are going to be reunited. And they will be there. They're going to be coming out. I don't know exactly how that's going to look. We'll find out when it happens. But the place where they are is in heaven. In the presence of our holy and righteous God. So the place that is given that you can go to visit them is right at the altar, at the Lord's Supper. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying. It's a beautiful image. If you ever have that day where you're just really, really missing somebody who died, Go take the Lord's, go up to the altar for the Lord's Supper. Whenever you get a chance. And by the way, there is a reason why all three of our churches, we always have one of the three churches has communion every weekend. If you really need it, you could go to one of the three. Go up there. Close your eyes and just imagine for a moment that person and every other person that's ever died in the faith. 
And then when you partake of that bread and wine, which is the body and blood of Jesus, you are in reality, in all truth, united to them. That is the place you go to visit them, where heaven meets earth, the Lord's Supper. So as you notice in our, you guys have received flyers for the Welcome Back Sunday. There are so many people in our churches that have not been in church in a long time. Welcome them back. There are many people that are missed. And that, by the way, might be a good reason. Somebody hasn't been here a long time and you know there's somebody they love that has died and they miss them and they long to be with them. Tell them, come to the Lord's Supper because you are with them there in truth. And the more they neglect it, the more they, this is kind of law a little bit, but the more they neglect it, the more they neglect being with their loved one who passed. And that loved one is watching and saying, why aren't you here? Why aren't you visiting me? I'm not dead. I'm alive with Jesus. Come to the Lord's Supper and celebrate with me, with him. Till the day comes when we all rise, may we be around the one true Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith and the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand. We confess our common faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated as we continue with the gathering of our offering. 